0: In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born
1: and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed
0: upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have
1: internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack save the world.
2: Welcome, listening friends, to the wide, wide world of sports—or as we like to call it, this pod, this ep- this podcast right here, this episode right here, <laughs> this what we're in right here. Oh, anyway. Welcome back, listening friends. We know you missed us. We took us a little break for a week, but we're back again. So, cha la 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 la. It's what we do here. Jack, how are you? Yes,
0: I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, I did. Uh, I do have one complaint though with our good friend Jack Smith, that mm. uh, that was awful rude of him to not coordinate when to drop those indictments with us, so we could have scheduled around to podcast, but I guess when you're a special counsel indicting former presidents, you don't feel like you have to talk with the greatest podcasting team in the history of the world.
2: I guess not, but we'll make do. Yeah, I I think we'll make do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Mm. I, I guess we should go ahead and just sort of maybe briefly explain sort of why we did take uh, last week off it uh, one thing everyone needs to know uh, at least for me but i believe with kenyatta as well recording our podcast is like one of the favorite things we do during the week <laughs> and we both enjoy doing it a lot and it's really weird if we take a week off and not record i don't know what to do on thursdays you know <laughs> when when we're not recording and i think kenyatta has that same issue sometimes
2: sometimes so, i get mixed up on what day of the week is but you know <laughs> it works out
0: yeah yeah so uh in a couple of past episodes kenya and i have sort of mentioned that we've been working on something and today we're going to go ahead and share it because it ties into why we did not record last week so as everyone knows if you've listened to this podcast that last year, my daughter was in a fire, spent some time in the burn unit ICU. And during that time we discovered that uh, due to the long stay of being in the burn unit ICU, it's very easy to stay 30 days. Um, What ends up happening to their family members is because there are only 128 burn units in the United States Most people have to travel to be with their loved one while they're recovering, and 60% of Americans live a four-plus-hour drive away from the closest burn unit, and a good example is if you live in Wyoming and you have to go, the closest burn unit is in Denver, Colorado, which is a 10-plus-hour drive away. That necessitates a hotel room. When you're in an, any ICU situation or the hospital, you heal faster when your family members are with you. And as a family member, it's incredibly stressful to be worrying about somebody while they're in that situation. And due to the cost of hotel rooms, what frequently ends up happening is after a week or so of a hotel, people end up sleeping in their cars. Uh, Pre-COVID, people slept in the waiting room, but since then, people end up sleeping in their cars if you want to uh, be with your family member while they're recovering, or you end up going home, which then, of course, creates a bunch of stress for you and your family member or and the person in the hospital, because uh, you don't want to be in that situation by yourself. And that uh, was something that weighed on me for a while, and um, so after searching and searching and seeing if there was anything that could help in that situation and discovering that there is not, I decided to start a nonprofit that would give grants. Uh, there are a couple other things we're going to do. We'll explain here. Uh, that would give grants so that somebody can apply for it and it will help offset some of their hotel costs, um, while they're. You know, in the hospital, even if we can only, say, help somebody with a week's worth of hotel lodging, that's an extra week someone gets to stay with their their loved one. And um, so to do that, I had to, you know, there are several steps we had to go through, and one of them is create a board um, for our nonprofit. And, of course, when I'm going to ask people if they want to be on my board, who better to ask, then the amazing Kenyatta to be on my board, <laughs> you know, to be on the board of this as well. And, um, I asked Kenyatta and thankfully she said, yes. And, um, I have several other people that are uh, on the board people that I have asked. Uh, we have all so people from all sorts of different walks of life, uh, doing that. So we did that. We've, Done the first couple of steps in the state of Oklahoma. We are about to submit our paperwork to the IRS to get our 501c3 status. Um, But our bylaws have all been written and approved and we've had elections. And Kenyatta destroyed the competition and is the director of social media and PR.
2: Yay me. (laughs) I'm I'm honored to be in the position. It was. It was a tough go, and um, I I was up against worthy contenders, but um, I would do my best to uphold the office. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> um, she 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 did promise to not uh, share any of our nation's nuclear secrets with anybody, or stored in her bathroom. Correct. That's a story for a different day, <laughs> but um, so. Sort of on this fan, a nonprofit we started, um, our first thought was we wanted to name it after my daughter. But Emily kind of felt like if we did that, that it kind of implied that she died in her accident, which I understand. And so what we ended up doing was Emily has a uh, stuffed dog that has been with her through her countless countless medical things throughout her life. She's been hospitalized 12 times for asthma. She had a kidney thing when she was young. She's had three nasal surgeries. And her stuffed dog, Mars, has been with her through all of that since about the age of two. So we decided who better to name this particular endeavor after than Emily's stuffed dog, Mars, because he provided comfort for Emily. And now he is expanding his mission to provide comfort to others. So the name of this is Mars Mission Foundation. And it's an outreach for the family of burned survivors. And like I say, we're about to put our paperwork in for the IRS. And we are going to provide grants to offset hotel costs. But the other things we want to do, um, and I feel like I'm monopolizing talking here. (laughs) But the other thing we want to do is we're going to create, um, for lack of a better term, like a swag bag. So, when somebody gets admitted into the burn unit, the social worker will be able to go and give them uh, one of those sort of string pull sports backpacks. And inside of it, we're going to have a little dental kit, which will be a toothbrush, toothpaste, mouthwash. Uh, We're going to have some sort of pamphlets, because we want to work with local hotels to provide a discount code so they can go in and get 25% off a room, which, you know, over the course of a week adds an extra day, or really a couple days. Um, And then we also want to see some discount, if we can get discount codes for some restaurants nearby the uh, burn units as well. And if we can swing it, you know, a puzzle book or something like that. And then we'll also have, you know, a flyer of, hey, this is how you can go and apply for the uh, for the grant. So we want to do that. That's an immediate thing that we can work on without really, before we get to where we can give our first grant. Because it is going to take a while to raise some of that that funds, which we realize. But, hey, if you can get 25% off a hotel room, you're, you're doing better. And that will help um, with people you know, make it easier, a little less stress. we're also going to include a, hey, this is what you're going to need when your loved one gets home. Because that was one thing we discovered was M needed so many things that we didn't know she needed until it was like right in front of our faces. So we'll have a list of, hey, you need to have this before uh, your loved one gets home. And um, our third goal, which is the big, big goal. um, I don't know if, Kenyatta would want to explain about it, or if you want me to go ahead and do it, Kenyatta? No,
2: you're on a roll. Have at it. Please do.
0: Okay. Um, Our ultimate goal is to eventually raise enough money to create a Ronald McDonald type situation so that when your loved one is in the burn unit ICU, you don't even have to worry about lodging or a hotel. You can... You know, you'll go to, you know, the hospital and the person will be like, hey, go here. And then you can just stay and have the room rent free. Uh, We would like to have, you know, at least a laundry room. So if you're there, you can go and do laundry and not have to find a laundromat or something like that. And um, just a Ronald McDonald house situation where we uh, someone can stay and not have to have the stress of worrying about lodging at all. And we realize that's a big goal because <laughs> I guess eventually that would mean maybe you need a hundred of them, but you got to start somewhere.
1: Indeed. And that's,
0: and that's with one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, since a majority of the board does live here in Oklahoma city, that is obviously going to be kind of our testing ground and where we would start. Cause it does make it easier when you're starting it in the city that you live in. And so, um, that is our ultimate goal. And we we understand that all of this is a can be a pretty big pretty big thing. Kenya can tell you that I was pretty overwhelmed at the thought of all of it.
2: <laughs> but but as, as as Jack has has been told, and he'll admit to this, not necessarily by me, but someone wiser than me, yeah, take it one bit at a time. It's a lot, but if you do it in pieces, it all come together at the end. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So that's what what we have been working on. And um, as my wife said uh, last week, you know, Jack doesn't really like people. So the fact that he wants to help people shows you how important this is to him. (laughs) (laughs) But. Doing this with Mars Mission is why we did not record last week. We had a fundraising garage sale here at my house. And I was setting up all day Thursday. And so we record on Thursday. And we just decided that with me setting up, it would have just been too much to try to record and then, um, you know, try to work out editing and all of that stuff over the weekend. So we just decided to take the week off.
2: But so, it is definitely for a good reason listening friends so in, in, in the weeks to come, in the weeks and months to come, you'll see um, if you're on the socials, we already have names staked out on Facebook and Instagram as well as an official website but they are works in progress right now mm-hmm. so when they get closer to being functional and have more information how you too can help us help others. We will let you know.
0: Yes, 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 for sure. And um, something that is sort of funny: we needed to raise uh, six hundred bucks to send to the IRS because they surprisingly want money from you to become a nonprofit to help other people. <laughs> we needed to raise six hundred bucks, and at the garage sale, we raised. Six hundred and one dollars.
2: <laughs> so we did it. <laughs> we did it. Well, y'all did it. That was you alls Yeah. Yeah. That was y'all sweating, sweat labor. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We we, uh, we had put out a message to friends that if you wanted to donate to this fundraising garage sale, that we would be more than happy to do it or to take it. And my f- our friends, not just mine, his friends with a lot of them as well. We all went to school together. Um, they stepped up and they donated. Boy, did they donate. <laughs> I had roughly 30, 30 gallon trash bags full of clothes. Hmm. I had four coffee tables full of nothing but pants. Or not coffee tables, card tables. Sorry. We had four card tables lined up, and they were full of nothing but pants.
2: Jeez. That'll do it.
0: That was a lot of pants, folks. It's a lot of pants. It was a lot of pants. But that's what we've been working on. And um, with that being said, we are going to sort of tie that in. Um, with what we're going to do, we are going to take a slight detour from our normal recording schedule, and we are going to air an interview that I did with um, a friend of mine named Andrew that I met because he is a burn survivor, and he is um, he is one of the trustees for um, for Mars mission. He's a great guy. He has a story that is. What he survived, what he went through, it is amazing. Andrew's an inspiration. And um he has earned a nickname, which I think is one of the cooler nicknames because his kids gave it to him because his like 85% of his body is skin grafted. His kids have started calling him Dadpool because his skin looks like Deadpool skin in the Deadpool movies. And that's what his kids call him now, because he's their hero and he so they call him Dadpool. but <laughs> we're going to uh, air that interview that I did with him. It is uh, just, just to be fair, there is some pretty, pretty, you know, gruesome talk because he does talk about how he was burned and everything in his recovery process. Uh, but it's definitely worth listening to because it shed some light on what somebody who is a burn survivor has gone through and why they do not need to be alone when they're recovering. Mm -hmm. So. Yes. So unless Kenyatta has anything else to add, I guess we're going to go ahead and switch over to the interview with Andrew.
2: I do not, but um, well, I'm I'm lying. Yes, I do. (laughs) Uh, um, But yes, it's as, as you heard Jack say, this is a very worthwhile end. Up until a certain point, really unknown need um, for people in this situation. So, again, check in with us, as you probably also always do. We'll drop um, information here in our, our, our uh, 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 upcoming episodes as well as on our socials as to when you can start seeing information on Mars mission socials. So stay tuned. It's coming. That's all I got.
0: All righty. Well, folks, with that, uh, bye. And uh, we will get back to regular programming with our next episode. So, bye. So today I'm going to go ahead and give a real quick sort of a content slash trigger warning. I am talking with Andrew in... Um, there are probably going to be some parts that might be a smidge difficult to listen to because Andrew went through something that is pretty insanely traumatic. Uh, the injuries that he sustained, but he's going to tell us about it, and I I'm honored uh, that he chose to uh, come on my podcast to talk about it. So, um, Andrew,
1: how's it going, Jay?
0: Hi, and I'm I'm going I'm doing fine. How are you doing today?
1: I uh, doing great.
0: Um yeah, we we met under sort of weird not normal circumstances. <laughs> we 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 met because of injury. If you've listened to the podcast, you know that my daughter uh, was involved in a fire and I went on a Facebook group for uh, burn survivors and their family members and I had just sort of commented about my daughter and where she was in the with the burn unit she was in and Andrew commented, Hey, I was in that same burn unit. (laughs) And uh, we sort of ended up just becoming Facebook friends because of that. But Andrew had some pretty, pretty significant uh, injuries from the the fire and, you know, the burns that he suffered. And um, he's going to sort of tell us about it because somebody who has gone through that, I don't care if it was, you know, just their forearm, their calf, or from the shoulders down, the sheer amount of pain <laughs> that somebody experiences after that. I, I don't even know if English has proper words to describe <laughs> <laughs> to describe it. And burn recovery is probably almost as bad and maybe worse sometimes than the actual being on fire part of it. So
1: That is for sure that is definitely true when it comes down to it. Your body does a lot of things during the initial accident to block those signals of pain and keep you alert. And, you know, a lot of times, too, it does a lot to block out the actual initial accident itself.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, why don't you go ahead and just sort of start from the beginning how you uh, had your accident and, and just sort of that. And I'm just going to sit here and, and let you uh, let you tell your story.
1: Yep. So, as you know, my name is Andrew um aka Dadpool to my kids and everybody else around me now uh
0: that, that is an excellent
1: way. Uh, oh thank god to ryan reynolds i yes. got the i got the deadpool arms i am just missing the deadpool ass unfortunately doctors <laughs> could not do that for me <laughs> my accident is i'm about 19 almost 20 months out now um my accident happened in june of 2021 it was here in colorado it was a work-based accident where a fire had started, small structure fire had started. Where there was propane tanks, one of the hoses to the propane tanks had gone melted through, and leaked into the into the room. It was a uh, thirty pounds worth of propane. Um, I basically went to go investigate the smoke. I walked into the room and said, "Hey, need to grab a fire extinguisher." In my head, and immediately explosion. It was uh, me being surrounded in a ball of fire literally i remember closing my eyes put my head down and put my hands in front of my face and i heard the i felt the boom i heard the boom and the door shut slammed behind me from the initial explosion itself as soon as it happened i turn around to get out of the room and i go to grab the doorknob and that's when i realized both hands just had skin hanging off almost to the point where it was like wearing surgical gloves with water in them and they sag off that's what my hands were doing, I'm just glad that I was still coherent enough to get myself out of the room.
2: Right. I uh,
1: get yeah. myself outside. And my first immediate thought was, are you still on fire? And I, I you know, I thought I was going to be on fire more when I was growing up for as much as they had us practicing stop, drop and roll. So I'm glad that I, if I got to use it for once, Okay, not glad, but I'm glad I knew what to do. <laughs>
0: I, yeah. No, I, no, I understand. I, I, yeah. I, I understand.
1: understand exactly. But yeah, I get outside and, I think God was still not on fire. It was uh pretty much like a flash explosion uh-huh. from the mixture of oxygen and the propane in the air. I went to go down nine one one. Could not do it. Was trying to use my mouth and my tongue at the time because I was the only one on the job site. Uh. There happened to be a house across the street where the neighbor heard me yelling for help, and she came and helped me and helped get nine one one there for me and the ambulance and the fire trucks. And I just remember being more worried about the structure fire than i was myself right i knew i knew i was burned i had seen myself in the mirror on the truck i knew that all my hair was gone my facial hair was gone no eyebrows um my hands were the obvious injury point to me but i didn't realize how bad the rest of my body was
2: right
1: um of course that selling with it it was my humor set in right away it was my coping with the Badness of what had happened. As soon as I get in the ambulance, I did make a reference. I guess Mexicans don't smell like burnt beans, do they? <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: yeah, that's that's the dark humor I've come to expect.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. That too. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's dark humor, but in the same sense, it's it's lightning for us. It's light, you know. It's
0: yeah.
1: It helps get us through. And it, it was helping me cope right away through what was going on because my adrenaline was just nonstop going.
0: Any idea how long it was from the time the the person across the street dialed nine one one to the fire department and the ambulance getting there? Just
1: out of curiosity, I I don't off the top of my head know how long it took, but it was fast because in that moment, it, ten seconds was feeling like ten minutes time. But I I just remember the fire department getting there so freaking fast they am, they beat the ambulance to the actual um, site of the job where it happened. Right, yeah. Yeah,
0: that was the same thing
1: with M's accident. The fire department got there before the ambulance did. Yeah, the most, the hardest part during that, it wasn't initially being burned and coming out. It was walking 75 yards from the initial place where I got burned only in my underwear because that was all that was left. And and my socks and my shoes on me. And um, I had to walk 75 yards burned as hell to the ambulance. And I walked myself in and got in they weren't able to get close because of the fire that was still going inside yeah Yep. so obviously
0: one of the first things they're going to want to do is get an iv so they can start giving you the good stuff were they able to find a spot did they have to like put the iv in your foot or your head or something
1: just because no that's where i that's when i started realizing how bad it was because they were saying they can get an iv in anywhere because my arms were burned my chest was burned i was burned everywhere except for my junk area where my underwear were—I was not. And I guess
0: if something's not going to get burnt, that's the uh the area you don't want to.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> like I used to tell people, I got a four-month-old daughter. You know where I didn't get burnt. so that's right. <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't. I did not want my buns toasted. Thank goodness, because yeah, that they they needed somewhere to pull the skin from. So
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah. But I it, there was initially 40 minutes between the time that my accident happened when I called 911 and when I made the phone call to Kendra right before they incubated me at University Hospital at Anschutz. So and you're not was, too
0: far then from uh, Anschutz, then I guess if it was but 40 minutes. I know you live
1: I live uh, an hour and a half north of
0: Anschutz. Oh, so did my they accident- invite you
1: there? Yeah, so they, flied me, they flew me there from Westminster's where the accident happened, where I was working. And Westminster to Aurora is about a 45-minute drive to depends, But they actually took me to Longmont Good Samaritan in Longmont first. And they're like, I remember them saying that he's really bad. You got to call the other place. And they're telling me, all right, you're going on a helicopter ride. And I remember the helicopter rides at university, uh, screaming. In pain when the sun was hitting me because that was just, that was agony. That was horrible, especially being in the helicopter and coming off the roof. But um I still remember the nurse that helped me, Laura. Um, I'll just stick to her first name. Laura handed me my phone and said, Is there anybody that you want to call? Right. First, before I shove this tube down your throat, because then you're not going to be able to talk. She's like, They should have in- intubated you already. And I was like, um All right. I was like, Yeah, I need to call my girlfriend. And I know if Kendra was here, she'd be able to, she still to this day talks about it. She's like, the calm in your voice, I had no idea how bad your accident was. Because yeah. I called the calm and said, hey, I had an accident at work. They're about to show this tube down my throat and give me some medicine and I'm not going to be able to talk. I love you. I'll see you soon. She was already at the hospital. She was already there. She yeah. had driven fast from Greeley to get to where I was at. So... Yeah, no <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, she goes, "I'm here already. I'm on the elevator." And she's like, "Can I see?" And I was like, nah, I don't think so." And that was the last time we talked for 2 weeks until I woke up.
2: Yeah.
0: I was that's that was my next question. Did they put you in a medically induced coma and it sounds like they did for obviously good reasons, but
1: yeah, and they put you right on the edge of a induced coma, so I can recall my family showing up and then playing music and me dancing my feet around.
0: Huh. That's interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And so like there was times where I was moving and I was trying to like sit up and trying to get up within those two weeks, but it was really, it took a really two weeks for me to get out of that daze and be able to react and, you know, finally realize where I was at. Cause I don't think I realized I was in the hospital before that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So obviously Cause you know, a lot of the skin grafting surgery would have been in the the first two weeks where, what part of your body were they able to get the donor skin from? Uh,
1: They were actually able to get it from my thighs. Um, Of course my ass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Everywhere around my groin area. They even take, they even took from my pubic area. They took um, my chest, my chest up here actually was not burnt too bad. And they took a lot of skin from right here as well. Yeah. yeah, those were the only places I was able to actually get skin from. And believe it or not, majority of my of my grafting was CEA. And you have to look at the medical term. I can't remember what CEA stands for, but it was my skin. My skin cells were used to grow my skin in a lab.
0: Hey everybody, future editor Jack here, and I wanted to uh, let you know that a CEA stands for a Cultured Epidermal Autograph. These graphs provide a permanent skin replacement for patients with deep dermal or full thickness burns. The graphs are made by growing a patient's own skin cells in an incubator. The finished graphs will be used by surgeons to replace the outer layer or a damaged skin. Thousands of burn patients have been treated successfully using this technique. Nick, All right back to the show
1: Right yeah yeah and then it, that was placed majority of it was on my arms and my back actually so
0: yeah Emily's uh, forearm fat uh, skin used to be on her butt and she was joking there for a minute she's like so if I fart is my arm going to feel it you know <laughs> <laughs> But what can be done in terms of skin grafting and everything it it really is incredible you know what they can do there are so many things now that i wish i didn't know I, and i'm sure you're in that same. oh yeah even more than me because you're the one that experienced it
1: oh, yeah. because
0: you just if you're not involved in it it's not something that you are ever going to stop and think about like when they do a skin graft they don't sew that new skin it's just sort of sitting there wrapped around
1: <laughs> they put it on you and kind of wrap it around and they use a lot of staples a lot of a lot of staples
0: on the dressings and everything you know that's sort of really what they staple in and and uh who I just golly and then yeah and in your case they would have had to your grafts and surgery would have taken a little bit longer because they did have to grow skin uh, from
1: your cells yeah, I was uh I was in cadaver skin for probably about six weeks for quite a while. That's one of those things that you don't realize had happened. It, it took me eight months after my accident reading Kendra's journal to find out that I had cadaver skin on me. And then of course I had to go look up. Okay, cadaver skin. Like, yeah, I found out what cadaver skin was. Not really pleased about that.
0: Yeah have Have you ever seen where now they use um, fish skin?
1: I have seen that where they try to use tilapia right. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's crazy. The
0: fact that they can do that is amazing, and use cadaver skin.
1: Well, even the CEA's growing my growing skin for my skin cells is like mind blowing. Um, not only that, my face my face was really burned really badly, and so was the top of my head. They use a spray resell on my face.
0: Well, it clearly worked because your face does yes. look uh, yes. does not look like sort of what people expect. It looks normal. I mean, your skin just looks normal. I mean, obviously there are a few spots, but... Yep. There's, yeah, you can
1: normal. see like the blotchiness and the red spots, that kind of stuff, but it, for considering how the rest of my body looks, my face looks great. <laughs> yeah, his,
0: his eyebrows have grown back perfectly. His beard has grown back. Maybe that's because they put his, uh, his testicle skin on his chin. And so that's...
1: no. That <laughs> I have a story about that one. Like, okay. we're gonna, they were going to use that skin from down there to do redo my eyelids because my face was burned that bad um they were worried about my eyelids not shutting my eyes not being able to shut and because the skin is the same kind of thickness and like that skin down there they were almost doing that and i remember asking dr Wicker, do whatever you can do not do that please do not take from there that's like i'm not burning there just don't do that just, can we leave it alone i remember telling kendra i was like you were willing to let them do that to me. You're willing to be with me cockeyed for the rest of my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that certainly would have given you a different nickname.
1: <laughs> oh, it definitely would have. I definitely would not have felt foolish. I would have felt a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, but yeah that that just goes to show they will use every and any part of your body they you can to help you know fix what they can.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a guy that in Iraqi freedom was in a an explosion and he was on fire and it was the only part of his body that wasn't burned was his taint. And that's his lips. Now it, he's okay. actually, he's become a comedian and he jokes that, that his wife can, how does he say it? She can kiss my balls, my ass and my lips all at once.
1: <laughs> but See, that, That's funny. Cause my kids call me dad but Kendra calls me gooch. <laughs> 'Cause I'm i I'm that fine spot right between being a dickhead and being an asshole. So <laughs>
2: that's what she says.
1: <laughs> but I, I joke with people because they, they did full sheet um grafting on my hands and I tell people I don't know if that came from my groin area or my ass, so you may just touch my ass when we shook sure hands.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah, they
1: look <laughs> on their face after that. It's pretty fine.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, let me sort
0: of move back on, get back in here. So how long did you end up staying there in the unit? This
1: is where I feel blessed. Um, I was told that I would be in the unit until January of 2022. um, And I made it out on September 30th of 21 still. So it was exactly 120 days from the date of my injury that I was able to come out of the hospital. And that was out of ICU and out of my two weeks in rehab. That's
0: that's incredible. But that hospital, that burn unit from the from the people that mop the floor and bring you your food to the nurses, to the doctors, every single person that works there is top notch. And obviously, you know, you're you're um, to use a phrase from one of my all time favorite wrestlers, uh, Mick Foley. Your testicular fortitude is pretty, uh, pretty off the chart (laughs) because that's also part of it. Somebody that's in that is in a burn unit. A large part of your recovery is you. I mean, oh yeah. And so that you know tells you or tells me just how going through everything you were going through, but to still be like, no, I'm getting out of this hospital.
1: You know, the, I've never met Emily personally, uh, your daughter, but I will tell you this: I will make the, it's probably something I could tell you about her because it takes that in you to be able to get through this and get where you're you know, to the recovery, right. she's stubborn, isn't she?
0: Yeah, she can be, yeah.
1: <laughs> she can be stubborn, yes. Stubbornness is a big one. I mean, it doesn't seem like it, but the stubbornness was the biggest thing to help me through my recovery as well. I, yeah. I, I, I was too stubborn to give up. I was too stubborn to, you know, not try certain things. And like, it, that was a big thing behind it was my stubbornness, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, part of her deal was she wanted to get home to her dog she was kind of pissed that they wouldn't let us bring her dog up to see her.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
0: Like, I don't think that even if she was a trained service dog, just due to the nature of your unit that they would let her on.
1: <laughs> no. Cause the biggest thing, it's not the burns that kill people. It's the infection. And that's the, they tell that to the families right away when it happens, Hey, you know, they survived this part of it, but the next couple months is going to be rough because it, it is the infections that, you know, get to us and especially having such big openings, you know, from the burns and you're not having skin covered over it. It happens. It does happen. I I fought off quite a few infections while I was in the hospital. I see you.
0: I don't know if, if it's something that you would be comfortable talking about just because I know just the sheer amount of pain, but the wound care that you have to go through after the the grass, the wound care is excruciating.
1: The wound care is really unbearable. It wasn't for the amount of medicine they pump you up with. Yeah. I, I, it, it's obviously something you can't go through. Um, they try to keep you awake through the first initial process of it, but it eventually comes too much. So what happens when you're burned like that, they have to scrape off a lot of the dead skin and keep your bandages fresh. Mm-hmm. So right. for me, I love... First thing in the morning, I love being the first person in the tub room is what we called it. And they come load me up on this big metal bed and wheel me over to the tub room and they lay you on there and they start spraying you with like a kitchen style sprayer. And, you know, they find the temperature of water that you can handle if you can fill it and they start spraying you and removing these bandages. And because they're burns, these bandages, you know, the gauze and everything is sticking to your skin, so they're peeling it and then... You know, there was the wound care between that and having to take off staples. Like, I remember sitting there being awake for 100 staples, and the pain was just too unbearable. They had to knock me out. I woke up. I was like, how many did you get? They're like, I pulled about 400 staples today. Yeah, And it was just, I remember screaming. I remember the screams. I remember um, being in that tub room. The echo is what got to me. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: It, hearing that myself echo in there it was yeah it was horrible man that that it was a ptsd thing for me anytime i was in there i knew what was coming so yeah
0: i i can imagine i seeing probably like the metal sort of tub or whatever would probably have to be pretty triggering for you at this point <laughs> and the the other part of that wound care doesn't just end when you get home you as a matter of fact being able to do your wound care is one of the things that get you released and then you have to do it when you get home and that's not easy
1: the wound care is just not part of taking care of those actual things it comes along with trying to get lotion on you too as well because being dried out and another part what was another part of the wound care oh the stretching that was the hard part too having to stretch because yeah everything wants to contract with
0: the heat and and you also have to cut off you know little bits of skin and everything and oh man that's yeah yeah and if you want to go home you have to be able to do that because it's not you're leaving the hospital and everything's going that's still you know a long long process in oh yeah your donor sites you know heck emily is what a month away a month and a half away from her initial deal her donor sites still aren't a hundred percent healed that tells you how long it takes yes it, sights are still a little raw, too.
1: Yeah, my donor sites still have like a red sheen to them and stuff. They have like a different color. My skin does. Um, one thing I'm blessed with, I don't have to deal with any open wounds. That is one thing I'm happy about. I haven't had to deal with it. My body has done such a good job of healing itself again to a point where I'm not worried about that aspect of it. Um, one thing that did suck was having to relearn to walk again. That was a hard one having to relearn to walk and feed myself because a lot of my treatment was having to stay still and just stay in that bed. Right. Right. Yeah. um, I don't know if Emily had to deal with it, but when I had the CEA skin grafts on it, part of it is getting an antibiotic poured on me about every four to eight, like five hours. And they would just pour all my God, the open gauze on me. And it was cold because it had to be refrigerated. And that was like the worst because they would wake me up in the middle of the night twice to do that.
0: Emily did not have to go through that. And uh, this is going to sound sort of funny um, because I'm assuming that you had to go through a lot of hand physical therapy afterwards. She was supposed to go through uh, physical therapy on her hand, but as soon as they took all of the bandages off of her to where her fingers could move again, she started uh, playing with her Nintendo Switch and she did it so much that she did not have to do physical therapy for her hand. Because of her Nintendo.
1: (laughs) That's good occupational therapy right there, man. That was good the fingers.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then she was also supposed to do physical therapy for her leg. Because as you said, you know, everything wants to contract. And things don't want to work right. And then, of course, you have to work. But as a teenager, Emily did Scottish Highland Dance. And so every time she stood up, she would go through the right leg moves And that sort of gave her physical therapy and she didn't have to do it for that. Because you were in the hospital for so long. And then your legs also, it was both legs and everything. So your wounds obviously were you probably had to go through pretty good amount of physical therapy when you got out of the hospital, I would imagine.
1: I did even to this day. I'm still doing occupational therapy for my hands, just trying to get my hands back. I had really bad contracting in my hands from it from it getting so tight. So but yeah, my legs. Being as burned as they were, Um, when I woke up, it was three weeks after I had waking up after my accident. I was walking with help around the unit. It wasn't did my leg surgeries. I had to stay in bed for two weeks straight, 14 days straight. And when I came to stand up from that, I could not stand. I could not. I could barely take steps that you know I it was it was a struggle. I mean trying to walk five feet or trying to get to anything it was just a struggle. There's times getting out of bed where it hurt. The burns oh, yeah. hurt but the the donor sight hurt more. Yeah. The donors sights hurt so much. That's where a lot of my pain came from was my donor sights. And then then taken from my buttocks area it yeah, it was a pain in the ass literally <laughs> like well yeah and then it, it makes it
0: worse too because it's your ass and you're laying in bed there's no way that you can't lay in bed and not have, you know, be sitting on your ass. (laughs) And yeah.
1: So, yeah. Well, yeah, that, and then with the, with the gauze, it would, it sticks to you. And if your wounds were exposed a little bit, you would stick to the bed. Yeah. So getting out of the bed was like trying to peel me apart from it. And Oh, that was so, that was a pain in its own as well. That was a whole different pain.
0: Sort of moving on. This sort of, I don't. The non-person that has been around somebody that's a burn survivor doesn't understand the that now, like hot things, just being around it can affect you. Have you gotten to where you can like cook on the stove or use the oven yet?
1: Uh, I cook on the stove and use the oven quite a bit. I am actually happy. Last week on Sunday was my first time grilling hamburgers since my accident, and that was really hard for me especially since my accident was propane based and i love to use my propane and propane accessories <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and uh that that was a big yeah. step yeah that was a huge step for me um i started out with grilling like salmon and chicken just the non-flammable stuff that doesn't right. flame up on you too much right, yeah. the grease and but even when i was in uh when i was doing what you call it, the rehabilitation to the hospital for those two weeks. My biggest thing was telling them, I want to cook for myself. So even while I was at the hospital, I was starting to try to use the stove. And a lot of it, it's scary as hell, man. But you have to adapt. You have to learn to adapt and find something that works. And I was trying everything. I was like, all right. I got big silicone oven mitts that went up past my elbows. Wearing stuff that in the front. Something splash me; it's not gonna go through my shirt. Fill it like boiling water. I I just took a lot of precautions and stuff, and asked for a lot of help at first, especially for my son and Kendra. Asked him, hey, maybe dump that for me or drain this, because a lot of it for me was I didn't have the strength to pick up the stuff off the stove.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but I I started little, like with boiling water and making cups of noodles and stuff. But yeah, it's taken this much time. For me to get where I'm at now, so yeah,
0: yeah. You know, honestly, it would it would probably be more strange if it if you were like got home and you're immediately you know making a grilled cheese sandwich or something. <laughs> you
1: know, to yeah. me that would actually <laughs>
0: probably be be the anomaly. It's just so weird that I never thought I would be at a point in the life where my daughter uh, texting me saying that she cooked something in the oven would make me cry.
1: <laughs> you know. Oh man, it's there's a lot of things that people anybody takes for granted every day being able to wake up and you know move to the edge of your bed under your own power to be able to reach down and, and scratch that itch you have don't take that stuff for granted because you know even the simple things is her making something in the oven don't take that stuff for granted because one day something might happen where you can't do that and you're having a thirty year old male nurse wipe your ass for you, and you're not feeling comfortable about it and you got to relearn to wipe your own ass and cook yeah. yourself and dress yourself and you know there's a lot of things that I took for granted until my accident happened man. and and those little steps that she does and that she takes if it makes you cry that those are the best things those are the best
0: things. oh yeah 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 it it's it's such a weird it's so weird because sort of as I stated earlier the only people that understand are the other family members and the person that survived sort of, you know, and yep. then of course, there's yep. slightly different understanding too, because you have a completely, cause you're the one that went through it. But for the family member who's there, it's also very traumatic. And the only people that really know are other people that went.
1: Through. Oh yeah. And even being, having family members close to you, and then they weren't part of the accident, but they're, they'd start taking the precautions because of what happened to you. I know you've experienced that since Em's, um accident, taking certain precautions when it came to certain things, candles and this and that. And that's one thing that Kendra was very cautious about since my accidents happened. And, you know, telling the kids, hey, if you hear the smoke alarm go off in the house, don't assume somebody's cooking and it's just going off. Always make sure that you're treating it like it's an emergency situation and you're observing you're finding out what's happening and make sure right away that if it isn't accident, if your sister forgot to put water in the mac and easy mac and cheese in the microwave and it's burning that that's what you know what it is and it's not a garage fire or this and that kind of thing um you know just not being uh not being too easy about stuff I grew up in a Hispanic household where my mom set off the the smoke alarm almost every day when she was cooking. Whether it was burning the tortillas or, you know, the pot of beans, the water was drying out and they started burning. But you you get so used to hearing that stuff, you don't react to it. And that's just one thing I've, I've been telling my family do not do that. React to it. Like it's always an emergency. Just, you never know. You never know, man.
0: Yeah. My, in my advice, I, I tell everybody you have to have a kitchen fire extinguisher. If you grill an outdoor fire extinguisher that you can get too quick to your grill, you know, don't, don't like in your case with a propane grill, when you go and turn it on, you make sure that it's up because if you turn it on and then try to ignite it, that crap can explode. Same thing if you have a pellet grill.
1: Make sure the yeah. Door is open. yeah. I always tell tell people everything. You know, even a lot of people I know are use the space heaters, and I tell yeah. them you what's around it. Make sure that you keep five you know five feet clearance around it. If something just touches it, it's going to start a fire. Like candles, candles is a big thing for me too. I love lighting candles. I love having my house smell good and that kind of thing. But it's scary to me. And there's other things now that I've acquired like a fear of because being in the burn community with other survivors everybody's different I've met people that were burned by a deep fryer at work Um, one of my closest buddies now that I can call a friend he was burned in a car accident I met Chad out of Washington that was burned from a work accident that was electrical yeah so like yeah there's just so many precautions now that you know, i one of my kids' outlet covers broke, and it was by the bed, and I was so fearful of something touching it, starting to fire, to electric now. You know, just yeah, it, it, it's crazy. It's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, sort of getting back into it. Hello, Kendra. Uh, it's Jack from the podcast. He's on. Hi. 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 Um, so obviously, you know, when you're in the unit like that, they are pumping pain meds, pain meds in you that could kill Keith. Oh yes. One of the things that I was amazed at is, you know, within an hour and a half, she got enough pain meds that would the normal person would have OD'd from. And it, it was just like taking her from a 20 to a 19. And you obviously would have been in the same boat. So when you got out of the unit, were you still taking sort of the serious meds? And how long did it sort of take you to wean off of
1: them? Um- I started weaning off of the meds about two weeks before I left ICU. Is that right? Because I, I initially wanted to quit cold turkey. And they're like, no, you can't do that. That's <laughs> too much for your body. And the reason I wanted to is because when I would go to feed myself, I was shaking so much from being on having so many opiates and stuff in my system. Like, I, I I literally felt like a crackhead, man. Like, it was horrible. It was a bad feeling. Yeah, it takes the pain away from you, but it, it does something else to you that it's just, it's not, you don't feel like you're living. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and no, no, no. feeling feel a little bit of the pain, helped you reminding me that I'm living still, you know.
2: Right,
1: yeah. Give me. I needed to feel the pain to get through my recovery and to get where I was physically. But I had them start winning me off. I think that first week that I left the hospital, I was on a small dosage of methadone a day. And then I finally weaned off of it within like a week, but I, yeah, I started in the hospital bringing down my the mounts that I had in my body because it was so much. Yeah. Even the ketamine, the ket- yeah, because the ketamine's horrible, man. The, 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 you have ketamine trips. I don't know if M ever experienced that, or she could tell you about that.
0: I don't know if she had f- whole- she on ketamine.
1: So yeah, they the tub room when we talked about that when they go to clean your wounds. They come in, and they give you what is called the cocktail. The cocktail condone, uh, consists of oxycodone, fentanyl, ketamine. I don't remember the other one. It was just a whole. It was
2: like kind of like a sedative type.
1: Yeah, like all sedative stuff, and that's what they would give you. And then when you're in the tub room, as the pain starts intensifying, they give you more. like, all right, here you go. and It's IV given to you. And it was ketamine. And then everybody get to a point where. It would get to a point where they're like, all right, you're in so much pain. Think good thoughts. You're going to hallucinate. And yeah, within like two seconds, boom, I was hallucinating. And I remember those trips, which is just horrible. Bad. I, I'm pretty sure I hung out with the Backstreet Boys in the office one time. That, that would be <laughs> awful having to with the
0: Backstreet Boys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. I was jamming out to their music while oh, okay. I was in the tub room. <laughs> it helped keep my feet dancing. Mind you, I was born in 86. So those nineties boy bands were my thing back then, but, <laughs> um, yeah, it was my jam. That's, that's what helped me get through. That's the music I remember dancing to while I was in the bed, like only a few days after my accident. But yeah, the, I'm glad that I was able to get off those payments coming out of the hospital. Um, Living in Colorado was a big help because I do use a lot of medical marijuana. Um, you know, I used uh, it to.
0: Emily's Emily's doctor said, hey, you might want to try this.
1: <laughs> so, and yes,
0: yes, it, it definitely helps. And in, in my opinion, I will throw hands on somebody that tries to tell me you are a person in yours or a similar situation. Doesn't have to necessarily be you know, a burn survivor. I will throw hands if you tell me that oxycotton or fentanyl is better than weed.
1: Oh, yeah, I will throw hands too. I would I've experienced both ends of them and I I I could I'll smoke a joint, I'll ease the pain and I'll sit there nice and calm and I'll just get hungry. You take Oxycontin, and you're taking enough to get rid of that pain and you're sitting there itching and moving and can't sit still, you know, like there's certain side effects to everybody, but that was my side of it. That was my side effects. And I did not like it. I did not like that. I'd rather be calm and chill. And it's natural. And that's another thing too, is because my kidneys took a big punch from being burned and being hurt. Um, In July, I actually coded twice on the table during my back surgeries. Within a half hour of each other, I coded twice. And that caused my kidneys to almost fail on me. And that did cause kidney problems with me. So I didn't want to be taking you know, oxycodone all the time or, you know, taking fentanyl or taking anything at any time because I'm still trying to make my body parts inside recover as well, too, not just everything yeah. on the outside. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that um, I that, did use.
0: I was going to say that's a good thing with the weed, because another thing people don't realize is when you're recovering from that, the amount of food you have to eat to get the calories to help your body heal.
1: You know, oh yes. the weed
0: that's making you hungry is, is kind of a good thing because that food is a big part of the healing process.
1: Yeah, because they, for me and my body, they wanted me to take in anywhere from 60 to 70 grams worth of protein a day. And it was over 3,500 calories a day. And trying to do that when you're in the ICU, being food, uh, being tube fed for 16 hours, <laughs> and then having all those uh, opiates in your body that kind of, don't make you hungry (laughs) like it's it's hard to reach that goal and reach that limit but what yeah when i got out of the hospital it definitely helped out a lot helped uh bring my appetite up help with the pain it was easier to manage than having to manage through you know 40 different types of pills
0: yeah and it, it helps you psychologically too and it is such a difference to see you know what 10 minutes of like in em's case she would be having a problem and then she could go and do that and come back and she would be fine. And that's what I'm saying. I will throw yes. on anybody that ever tells me that marijuana does not have medical use.
1: Oh yeah. Cause it, it helps to a point too, with your anxiety because the, the anxiety that comes from this type of injury is very easy to set on, especially being around heat or seeing other stuff. You know, I know when I would see like candles or reflection, that flame, it would set me off in a certain way right yeah but having the chance to smoke it would calm me down and bring me down and you know just okay and now i'm in the now i'm right here i'm good and still be able to feel kind of functioning as well because there was times especially after my surgeries for my hands when i'd come home and i was still dope up on the fentanyl and the painkillers i could not function i could not even speak but you know smoke a joint i I could still walk up the stairs not worry about falling and speak and yeah, that kind of stuff. But uh, the biggest thing was the Phoenix tears. I, I, I did uh, 500 milligram droplets on my tongue for the first few months to help with my PTSD. And that really helped out. That that was a big thing. I, I had to work my way up to the smoking part using the lighter, especially with my hands, my fingers and the whole fire thing. But yeah, that I'm pretty happy about living in Colorado and having access to it like I do medically. Because right. I think if I'd be on painkillers. That's actually the thing I've seen with uh, other burn survivors. They're still dealing being on painkillers and then fighting addictions from that too.
0: Once again, it's editor Jack from the future. And I know the audio here is kind of jumbled and I basically wanted to clarify what I was saying. And it's that, you know, somebody that is a burn survivor, the pain meds that they're sent home with, is is needed but it is very easy for somebody uh when you're dealing with opioids to become uh an addict and my point was that it wasn't you know just a situation uh where they've been in the past where they were just over prescribed something it uh it is needed in the case of of a burn survivor and i just wanted to clarify that since the audio is a smidge smidge garbled anyway back to the show So. Yeah, and and it's yeah. not like you know a lot of people will sort of get addicted to pain meds and it was maybe overprescribed, but somebody in your situation, I can't overprescribe that because you desperately need it. <laughs> you know. Yes. So.
1: And, and yeah, they were not they were not shy about giving you big amount. Even after my surgeries, they're trying to give me like thirty pills and a couple refills with it, and it's like, no, nah, that's a lot. I don't need them. Even to the point where now, when I go to my surgeries, I only ask them for about five or six in case I need them. Right. But yeah, that's you know, it, yeah, I try to avoid those as much as possible.
0: I've had the uh, the late the skin laser surgeries.
1: Um, yes, I have experienced two that? of them.
0: Do you want to? Uh, yeah.
1: Talk so, the, on that? yeah, the CO two laser surgery is used to help bring down the texture <laughs> of of the skin, of the skin grafts. It helps smooth them out, but it also helps with the elasticity, the nerve regeneration, because our nerves are shot from the grafts. I have a hard time feeling the heat or cold in my arms. Everywhere I'm burned, I have a really hard time feeling, uh, not just temperature, but just feeling in general. And you don't Touching stuff. Yep, don't sweat. Yeah, that is a hard thing about it. But the laser surgery has helped my back to, a point. Did you see Em deal with a lot of itching in her arm?
2: Uh,
0: she her has, arm. yeah,
1: yeah. So that itching—it's on your back, and it's like your whole back. It's just a horrible, horrible thing. After that laser surgery, probably about a month after it, I lost eighty percent of that itching. Oh yeah, yeah. The biggest thing with the laser surgeries, the CO2 laser surgeries, was uh getting rid of about eighty percent of the itching in my back. You, that was what I first experienced. That's good because yeah, yeah,
0: the itching and once again, if you that's why I wanted to talk to you, you know about this so that sort of the person that's never been through this might have some sort of an idea of, you know, not just the actual incident. Everything after that in your life has changed. It is different, and it affects everything.
1: Everything. yep, even my my driving, it's affected my driving, my sleeping. The way I shower, the way I dress, the way I, you know, put my shoes on. The
0: way you get hot and cold, because now your
1: thermoregulation is The way you get hot are. cold, yes. Yeah, it, it, it took a lot for me. That's the hardest part of dealing with it right now, is knowing that, like, I can't be outside under the sun as long as I used to be able to stand. Right. You know, trying to do my, my kids' field day this last year was, it was a hard one, but I was able to withstand at least 30 minutes for each kid and then get out of there. Um, the sweating part is what sucks that's with the heat especially that's how your body cools down and it's very easily to get overheated during the summer yeah yeah i i, I try to carry a spray bottle try to mist myself and give like a free, you know fake sweat on my body i've tried wearing like clothing that breathes a little bit more but still blocks me from the sun i've tried a lot of things so
0: yeah we've uh we bought the uh what is it the uv sort of you know sleeve gloves and she puts that over her arm even though she does have the uh compression sleeves and that's something oh man your compression sleeve is probably almost more like a compression
1: bodysuit yeah mine is a compression bodysuit it exactly (laughs) is a bodysuit and it is black and red thanks to Deadpool that's with a color I chose on purpose but my uh my leg one pulls up all the way to my poly button and then has suspenders that come over Then I have a full body vest that covers my whole top torso, and I have full sleeves and full gloves for both hands. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. It's uh, yeah. And that (laughs) is a different fight on its own because it's so tight. Sometimes you need help putting it on, taking it off. I get stressed and winded. It's tight. You got to get used to it, especially wearing it for twenty three hours a day.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know, obviously, you have more than one pair because you have to be able to wash them but yeah it's uh it's crazy um if you're if you're listening to this just just know this if you're out and about and you see somebody that is a burn survivor because um, that's what you are you are a survivor of it that person has experienced and gone through more pain than probably 99 of the people in your life and i understand that the skin afterwards can be odd or hard to look at but just know that that person has gone through stuff and they don't need you to like i guess gawk or or do whatever you know because it is very difficult to go out in public afterwards because you know that it's it's different that person is a badass they're the biggest badass you're ever going to meet and you need to like you know, pull the Wayne's world. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy bit because that person is a badass. So,
1: yep. <laughs> and you know what? I, I will tell people this too. Teach your kids to ask questions. Kids are the curious ones. Kids are the ones that I don't mind staring at my scars and looking right. at me. And when that kid does, you finally meet that one kid that's not scared. And they're like, hey, what happened? I'm more than happy to talk to them and tell them, hey, you know, yeah. I was burning a fire. This is what fire could do to you. You know, be safe, be careful. Take care. Hopefully, maybe there's kids I've run across that will lose that curiosity of, oh, let's play with fire. Because I know there's a lot of boys that go through that growing up. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And but the biggest thing is those adults that just don't know how to act out in public and they will stare at you and they will gawk because that is something I'm still fighting within myself, man. I fought to stay alive. I'm alive now, but now I'm starting to I'm fighting to come to terms with what my body is now, what is different, what's different about it. And of course, you don't, people don't realize what burn survivors go through or what happens because it's not that common around, I don't feel like it's a very common thing around, you know, certain groups of people, unless you know, you know, you're friends with a bunch of firefighters, I'm sure you've experienced it in that or oil rig stuff. But, you know, my, fam- my family, I've never met anybody burned while I was growing up. You know, yeah. nobody in my family has ever experienced that kind of thing. So it, it was even hard when I first came home from the hospitals. It was hard for my daughters to touch me yeah. because of how I look, you know, and yeah, a lot and of, on it top of it was.
0: They probably were afraid that they would, you know, cause you pain or hurt pain. you at the same exact, time. Yep. So, so it's a combination of the two.
1: Yes, it so, is.
0: But sort of what we were talking about before we started recording, the fact that your kids call you uh, dad uh, because your skin kind of has the, you know, look
1: of Deadpool
0: is a good sign that they are accepting and, you know, their psychological aspect is healing as well. So
1: It is too. and It, it also, like I said, it brings that hero aspect into it where, hey, my dad survived this. He's still here. And it, you know, that I feel like a hero. I feel almost something that, you know, of a different power that no regular human has because going through this was really horrible. It was bad. Yeah, like I, I said before too, I, although this accident happened to me, I'm glad out of my coworkers, it was me that it happened to, because I don't know if any of them would have been able to get through it. Like I did, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That, it's gotta be a weird thing to
1: think that. It, it is a weird thing to think that, but you know, I, I was working with the, I had, a, I had a wide variety of coworkers that I worked with. And I just, like I said, I, my mindset, my stubbornness, and how I am and how who I was, I feel like that's what kept me alive through this. So
0: you definitely have, uh, as I said earlier, pretty pretty decent amount of testicular fortitude. Yes <laughs> <laughs> it it's so hard to just know what someone has gone through and Hollywood doesn't everyone has they think that how Hollywood portrays a a burn is what it's
1: like, and it's not <laughs> uh, which no, it's not it's nothing close. That's another thing too, is you don't realize how much fire is around once you have this kind of accident too. Listening to music, you hear it in a lot of songs, you hear it in a lot of, you see it in a lot of movies, TV shows, Like Sit down and watch TV for an hour and how many, how many times you saw an explosion, you saw fire, you saw something happen and it it happens all the time. And I didn't realize that until this accident. So it's just kind of eye-opening too when this this stuff happened.
0: Does that affect you if you are watching something and there's like an explosion or something like that? Do you have to stop the movie? Do you fast forward through it or leave the
1: room? You know what? Like I said from the beginning, I, um, I'm almost blessed, man, from where, I've, where I'm at right now with my injury and how far out I am or how far I'm not out from it. I'm coming up on my two-year anniversary in June and since I experienced that traumatic accident and I was diagnosed with PTSD. I am experiencing PTG, post-traumatic growth. And so I I had fears of that stuff, but I always wanted to keep exposing myself to it because I I would feel more like a victim if I let it take over me. You know what I mean? Well it, and part it of being that habit. survivor. Yeah.
0: It it's not it's not like that off if you purposely kind of avoid it, then it becomes the norm and you don't want it to be the norm, because once it becomes the norm, it's harder to
1: break out of it. Yep, and I was trying to get back to my original norm. You know, I want to get back to where I was before, and I have those fears and that kind of thing. And I think it was like three months after being home from the hospital, and I told Kendra, I want to watch Firestarter. Now see, that is diving into the deep end of the pool right there. (laughs) And she's like, she goes, you really want to watch that? And I was like, yeah, I want to watch it. Like, I want to face these fears, you know? I don't want to be... I don't want to have my peripheral vision see a flicker of gold and panic to fire right away. I want to be able to look and observe and see if it's at, you know, wind time catching the sun glare a certain way or you know, I just don't want that onset panic right away. So I, I've I've had to face I've had to face it a lot and that's what's helped me. That's what's helped me. Yeah. But at first that stuff definitely did affect me. It definitely did affect me. Yeah,
0: yeah. And you're definitely proof positive that your your mental attitude in your mindset is a huge part of the healing process it is in terms of any injury not just you know what you've gone through it doesn't matter if you were you know shot a car ran over you your snow plow accidentally runs over you a la jeremy renner (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) your your mindset is a huge huge factor in uh, not only the healing while you're in the hospital, but your mental and all the healing that you, you have to do afterwards, because this is a, a multi-year healing process, the journey that you're on.
1: So. Oh, yes. I still have a lot of years ahead of me to try to get to where I was before and strength back and that kind of thing. But uh, it, it, I know I make it sound like, oh, yeah, I did this and that and I've done good, but it's hard. It's It's hard, man. You have to have that mentality when you're in the hospital that, yeah, this is painful, but. The more I do my physical therapy and my occupational therapy, the more you're going to succeed. The biggest thing that I tell burn survivors now when I meet them is to put time in between your accident, your injury, and where you're at now. The more time you put between it is the more success in yourself you're going to see, the more progress in yourself you're going to see. Because I was in the hospital even two weeks before I was getting ready to get out. It was hard to look back and see where i was you know i'm not this yet i'm not this yet I'm not that i i had to look from the first day okay do you remember when you couldn't walk like now you're walking you're taking steps now you could use a cane i remember on thanksgiving i gave up the cane you know you have to put the time between it like i said I, i look back now where i was last year and i've made huge steps i've made huge steps Oh, and that's yeah. where i see the biggest progress even the progress i've made in the last 3 months it's not as much as what i could see that feels as good as looking back a year so right. putting that time between it is it, it's going to help and yeah. will remember being scared of using the oven and she'll remember the first day she used the oven and then one day she's going to be using it she's going to be like oh, yeah i just used it and forget about that you know and yeah. those are the days that count those are the days that keep you kicking
0: yeah yeah it's the it's It's the small victories that keep you moving forward. And you have to recognize that in, you know, in a lot of situations traumatic like that, all victories, no matter how small
1: are, are important. Uh, Oh yeah. And there's battles that you will have that you will not win every day. And those are those days that you need to take that loss and take that out and just keep pushing, you know, I'll, I'll keep winning battles, but I'm trying to win the war, man. So
0: I, I never, I'm a veteran. Um, I was not a Marine, but the Marine Corps does have the saying of "embrace the suck," and I never, I got it, but I never got it got, it. <laughs> you know, sure. until I was in the, you know, in the room with M, and then it's like, that's all you could do. You you almost have to reach out and hug the suck just so you can take that next step. Yep, and that's kind of what you're saying. You've you've embraced
1: the suck. <laughs> I have. I definitely have. There's day, I, I days I had. It take steps I didn't want to take man it was hard there's there's days especially knowing I had to peel myself off the bed literally like there's times I just did not want to do it but I can't tell myself you got to do it because you will get yourself somewhere you know yeah. you're not going to I don't want to be a victim did not want to be a victim
0: yeah um Im says that she would like her goal is to make the fire her bitch oh yeah
1: and I, I it's you've had that
0: same <laughs> obviously that yep. same uh attitude. And
1: so, yep. I'm, yeah, I'm not a victim of the fire. The fire, you know, I'm not going to be the fire's bitch. I'm gonna make the fire my bitch. You know, that's exactly what it comes down to, man.
2: And
0: yeah, that that's all you can do. That's the well. I mean, that's not all, I guess, but that's that's the attitude to have. That okay, this horrible thing happened to me, and I'm going to all I can do is just take the next step forward. It just this is me now. And this is my the steps I got to take, and I have no choice. I got to move forward.
1: Yep, so, that's how I've done it. You know, especially with the cooking, I have burned myself cooking since my accident and at first i I panic and i freak out but now it's just starting to happen and i'm getting used to it again you know (laughs) yeah and it's nice it's nice to have some feeling back in my hands (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
0: that that's got to be the weird thing too because the way the way the nerves regenerate after all that is so weird
1: it it takes a long time it takes a long time i still to this day can't feel my four-month-old daughter drooling down my arm uh sometimes the kids sneak up on me and they sit there and they're touching my legs and i don't even notice it because right. i can't feel it but my hands my left hand has made an improvement i can i'm feeling the heat i can feel the cold i'm still working on that with my right hand
0: the most important thing though in terms of the healing of your hand are you able to flip people off yes okay well see, I am that, now that
1: is, I am that now. is you're healed <laughs> when i got out my right hand I, I couldn't even hold a pop can with my right hand when i got out of the hospital because it hit my fingers it contracted so much oh, and okay. i hate it because it's my right hand and i'm right hand dominant and so like part of my ot i was trying to flip people off left-handed but i kept working on my right hand trying to get it where it's at and i went from my hand being stuck like this to being able to be yeah, where it's at now
0: he's he's going through the whole, you can't see
1: Speakers, yep.
0: audio medium medium but he's yes. moving his hand around and But I'm
1: showing you so you know where it's at, you know, being able to have that dexterity in my fingers again. And now I can finally put that finger up. It's, you know, I flip the fire back off because I'm getting I'm getting I'm getting somewhere.
0: Well, you need to take seven surgeries. (laughs) You need to be able to do that. So when those idiotic adults are staring at you, you can. Tell them how you're thinking.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially here in Colorado when all these Texans come through, you know, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> they don't know how to drive in the snow. <laughs> that, is, that is true.
0: Uh, when, when we were there with them still, I think in the the two weeks I was there, I experienced more snow than the entire like five years prior where I
1: live in Oklahoma City. So, <laughs> yeah, the snow appears. Something else, man. You can see all the Texas plates and Colorado's starting to become California. Everybody's transplanting here. and Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) um, we've been at
0: it for a while here. And one thing I do – well, I'm going to say this and then give it to you if there's anything else that you would want anybody to know before we sort of sign off. Whatever, like, severe injury or trauma that you have had, don't get in the comparison game with someone else. Whatever the worst thing that has happened to you is, it's the worst thing that has happened to you. It doesn't matter if it you might be lucky and the worst thing that's ever happened is a, a paper cut or, you know, you've broke a bone or whatever the worst thing that has happened to you. It's the worst thing that has happened to you and don't ever compare yourself to what somebody else has gone through. Now, that being said... Two people that have had similar sort of injuries, you can sort of talk and compare, oh yeah, this is what, oh, and I went through that and this suck, you know, but don't sit there and think to yourself, well, I only broke my arm and this person, you know, broke both of their arms. No, if that's the worst thing that's happened to you, you have to not compare, you have to accept it and then move forward with whatever the worst thing that has happened to you. It's not a comparison game. So, if you want to uh, go ahead and Anything else that you would like to to tell people uh, before we sign off? I'll give it over to you.
1: Yeah, um, going off of what you said about comparing, um, being part of the burn survivor world, I have had the pleasure of meeting other burn survivors. Um, I will share this podcast with them to let them hear it and stuff, but there's been times where we've been around each other and we compare. And I've met people that were 20% burned, 30% burned, 40% burned. I know somebody that is 99% burned. And there's the times where we try to compare, oh man, well, you know, I have the 20% guy say, mine's not as bad as yours, you know, but you can't say that you were still burned. No matter what that percentage was, you were still burned. You still went through something traumatic, you know, being a peer support and talking to the other burn survivors. That's one thing I do tell them, you know, don't try to compare what yours is to mine or this, or that we're going through the same stuff you know, some of our directions may be a little bit different, but we're still climbing up around the same mountain, you know? So.
0: Yeah. The, the path to recovery is a 10% burns, 99% burn. It's just the length of the journey, but it's all very, very painful and a multi-year process that, that you're going to go through both mentally and physically.
1: Mm-hmm. It is.
0: So, yeah. It's uh it's crazy, <laughs> you know, sort of thing, but. Uh, yeah, when I'm talking compare, obviously you're gonna have similar experiences, but don't sit there and say, "Well, mine was this and yours was way worse." It's the worst thing you went through. Yep, doesn't matter, <laughs> you
1: know. Exactly, it's still a bad thing.
0: I really appreciate you coming on. I know that it's sort of weird talking about it, is both uh, healing, but at the same time hard to do because you have to relive you know, what you went through. So I know that talking about it isn't necessarily the easiest thing in the world. And um, I'm really honored and humbled that you chose to come on here and talk about your journey that you've been on. I know that there's tons more, you know, that, that you've gone through and could have shared, but Uh, I understand, you know, we only have a a limited amount of time, but B, I can understand why you don't want to necessarily share everything. So I, I really, really do appreciate you coming on and I hope my, my listeners are able to just understand whatever happens. You just got to put your next foot for, you know, your foot forward and just take that next step and it can be horrible and it can be bad, but you can get through it
1: and, you know, you can get through it. Yeah. And what makes it easy talking about it is being able to help other people get through stuff, man, that they're going through, you know? Yeah. yeah. If you're not, even if you're not burned and you're not going through that, if you're going through something hard in your life, it gets easier. Take, keep taking steps forward. Don't give up. Don't become a victim to anything, to anything.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's, that is 100% true. I have to say, I'm, I'm glad that we've become Facebook friends. And uh, even when you, you know, send me TikToks that people outside of sort of our community might not find as funny as we find. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure you went through my TikTok page. You'll see there's a few in there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. But um, anyway, uh, once again, I, I really do appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, I'm honored and humbled that you,
1: you came on. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I have a feeling that uh, fate put us together, man. Yeah, yeah. at its joints. So, uh, you know, I I enjoy your cracking your humors on Facebook and talking to you and stuff and answering your questions when you do have them, too. So,
0: yeah. yeah, my goal on Facebook is generally speaking to make someone have a laugh, even if it's just like a, you know, you know, sort of 10 second laugh that can make your day a little better. And then there are just sometimes where things happen, and I just get irritated, and I have to go all serious. It's always random. I'll have like eight memes, and then a serious post. Of, I can't believe, and then twenty-five memes that are funny again. But
1: <laughs> hey, as long as you get the laughs in it, that's what life's about, man. You got to yeah. laugh at everything.
0: Yeah. So um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, sign off, and I, I end all of my podcasts like this. I know that it's something that because. I lean more towards asshole than not asshole that I typically am not good at doing, (laughs) but just remember everybody, try to live your life in a way that would make Bob Ross proud. Bye. (laughs)